Psalm 96, please. Psalm 96. Let's turn there together. If you need a copy of the scriptures, there should be one near you in a chair. Or perhaps you could download the Bible app real quick. Psalm 96. Over the next three weeks or so, um, I will be preaching a, a series on music. My song of praise. We're going to be looking at different psalms that deal with music. And believe me, I realize, and I want to say more than anyone, but I know there's a lot of people who understand it here as well, but I realize that this is a very sensitive subject, to say the least. And I also realize that in a church... Like ours, this size of a church, there is a very broad spectrum of people who have very individual, clear beliefs on this very sensitive subject of music. So my goal in this series is not to get everyone to come to the same point of agreement on this issue. Okay, let me repeat that. My goal is not to get everyone to come to the same point of agreement on this issue. I know that's not possible. However, I am asking every single person in our church who will be here for these messages to take the word of God for what it really says about music. What do I mean by that? I mean, not take your personal opinions or preferences or even teaching that you have heard in the past and read into the Bible. Would you be willing to take a fresh look at the scriptures as to what the scriptures actually say, literally say, not misinterpreted or through a perspective Uh, opinion, but what the scriptures actually say and be willing to say, I'm open to learning in this area. Because I realize when people, the longer people have known Jesus and walk with Jesus, many times their convictions get more and more clear. And that's right and appropriate if their convictions match what the Word of God truly says. And there is a lot of very general statements about music in the Scriptures. Very little specifics. The unfortunate thing has been, through the years, people have made specific statements about music, saying that they come from the Bible, but that's not necessarily the case. The the Scripture actually is pretty general. In regards to music. And so because it is fairly general. There can be a lot of variety among Christians. In this regard. The problem has been. Many people have have come to very specific conclusions about music. And have taken those conclusions and wanted them to be adopted by all other Christians. And when that doesn't happen, 
a lot of conflict has happened through the years over this subject. I grew up in a Christian environment. And so, as long as I can remember, this subject has caused conflict around the Christians that I have known. How sad that is. Because in some Christian circles, you don't have that conflict. So there are new believers here today that have no idea what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of people who have been a believer for a long time. And and this area has been one that you have heard people fight over for a long time. And it's caused a lot of division. From a child, I remember hearing really bad teaching about music. Teaching that does not match the scripture. And I'm not going to get into a lot of it. But preachers and teachers who have taken the Bible way out of context, read their opinion into the text to make a point. And having grown up in an environment where I've seen so much conflict on this issue, the older I get, it, it, it just, it's so hard for me to hear Christians continue to have conflict. It's just very difficult. And I'm being very transparent. I wonder how it has grieved the heart of God. I mean, my heart is grieved all the time. And I'm one nobody. Imagine how it has grieved the heart of God to see his children fight over something that he holds so precious. In areas like Greenville, where there's a church on every corner, people have shuffled around churches for decades because of this issue. And most of the time when I hear people leave churches, it's not because of doctrine, it's not because of soundness of preaching. Most of the time it's over music and music preferences. I can honestly say I don't remember the name of this couple. I tried to remember this morning because I knew I was going to give this illustration, and I cannot remember the name of the couple, so therefore it's, a, it's free game for me. But we had a couple leave the church and they mentioned they were going to leave the church because they didn't like our music and they thought they would try other churches in the area and and in communicating back to us as to where they were looking, it was like, well, we tried this church down the road, down Fairview, a Baptist church down the road and, and they tried that, but it was, their music was too Southern. So they tried somewhere else and now they're, they're, they're still trying to find a church and the conversation revolves all around music. When people focus so much on music, it it rarely focuses on the things like, is the preaching sound? Am I growing? (laughs) Like, am I getting anything? And and the sad thing is, some people would settle to be in a church where they could sit under the preaching and not learn anything. Like, it, it doesn't relate to them, it doesn't connect with them, but the music makes sense to them from their vantage point. And so they would sit for years and decades in that environment because... It fits their preference. And with Greenville having so much to offer with every stripe of, of option, I wonder if that same couple were to move out west where you hope to have a gospel-preaching church in every town, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to drive. What do you do in that situation? Or land in Europe because of work 
Maybe you get transferred where there's very little gospel witness. What do you do there? Go to Africa where culturally it's very different. What do you do? I get it here because there's a thousand options. And I want to be very careful because I know we have new believers and I don't want to spoil it for them. I don't want to put things on them that they don't need to have in regards to their Christian life. And I want to be sensitive to those who have been taught for decades a certain particular way. And I don't, I don't, it's not your fault. Many times you trust voices that are put in front of you. And as far as I know, I have never preached on the subject of Calvary. We're over five years now and I've never preached on this subject. But I feel like it's appropriate now. Because we're in the Psalms. (laughs) Folks, do you know what the Psalms are? It's God's songbook. The Psalms were the songs of the children of Israel. It was Israel's hymn book. So let's look at Psalm 96. And I'm going to start general today. And next week I'll probably say more specific things. And I hope you'll stay. We probably, who knows, in a church this size, we may have people leave over my series. But I truly want people to understand from a biblical perspective what I believe God's heart is on this. So let's look at Psalm 96 together. I'll read it out loud. If you would follow Psalm 96, it's a call to worship to the Lord, the righteous judge. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of, of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the, all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods, all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, and strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire, tremble before him all the earth, say among the nations the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established, it will not be moved, he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it, then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. So this is one of many, many psalms that I could have picked, but it's a general call to praise and call to worship. And and so I chose it uh, to start this series because I want to just simply uh, answer the question, the very, very basic question this morning, why do we sing? Why do we sing? I want to just answer that question and let the scripture speak for itself. This is a beautiful song. It's a call to worship. The children of Israel uh, would have used it, and, and it is for us again as well today. But right from the beginning, we see the importance of singing to God. In the first two verses there, you'll see... Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord and bless his name. Three imperatives in the first two verses that tell us to sing. 
Now, everyone may not know here today, um, I realize we have children with us and even young people, and the word imperative may not make sense to you. So trying to be sensitive to everyone here and speak on every level. The word imperative simply is a command, uh, a specific meaning, uh, definition would be to give an authoritative command. So these three verbs, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, are three imperatives. That means they're three authoritative commands. So the fundamental answer to the question, why do we sing, is simply because God tells us to. You say, well, that's not very brilliant. No, it's not. It's simple. But you would be amazed how many people don't sing. (laughs) And it's a simple command. We are told as believers that God desires his people to sing to him. This is not an option. One of the responsibilities of every believer is to sing. Let me repeat that. One, there are many responsibilities of believers, but one of the responsibilities of every believer is to sing to the Lord. Over 50 times we have in the scripture the command to sing to the Lord. The word sing or, or even things like that is mentioned over 400 times in Scripture, but over 50 of them fall into this imperative situation where it's a command. 50 times God tells His people in His book, which is His revealed will, to sing to Him. So it has not made sense to me through the years that as I look at people and watch people in worship come to a service and not sing to the Lord. So someone can come week after week and stand when everyone stands and never participate in song. And it's a clear violation of God's truth. You cannot get around it as God's child. We are to sing to the Lord. And I've actually had people say, well, I don't like to sing. I'm sorry. Can you imagine how you would feel? I'm sure you can because it's probably happened. It's happened in my home. You tell your child, go do your homework. You have math homework tonight. Go do it. The response of the child is, no, I don't like math. Well, okay. How does that go in your home? So as God's people, we can come to his worship service that he has told us, commanded by the way, assemble on a regular basis, come together, and he's given us like six or seven very general things that we are to have included in a worship service. And by the way, singing is one of them. And we are told to sing to the Lord. And so week after week, people come and stand with their mouths closed. As a parent, and the whole homework illustration, that probably does something to you inside. 
I wonder what God feels about your worship. And I'm being very frank. I wonder what God feels about your worship when you come and stand and don't obey. Now, thankfully, the way this is designed, I sit down here, I don't see, I have no idea who sings and who doesn't. So, But I know it's here. It's in every church. Sometimes it's more of the... I'm not even going to say that. Never mind. Sometimes guys are too cool to sing or whatever. and It's not only guys. Some say, well, I can't carry a tune. I don't think that's part of it. I told the guys in our prayer meeting this morning, what I appreciated about my father growing up, my dad could not carry a tune. Still can't to this day. Dad, if you're watching, I'm sorry. But my dad, every Sunday, would stand up and sing in church. He was a man. He was a man of conviction. And I'm so thankful that I didn't have that inner conflict in our home about all these issues like music. It was an environment where there are a lot of issues, but they had a very balanced approach. And my dad took more of, all right, let's look what the Bible says. This is not an option. We must sing to the Lord. And it says there, he is our audience. <laughs> sing to the Lord, a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. So we are singing to our God as we come together in worship, we should mentally be thinking when you say, as King of Kings, praise to the Father, praise to the Son, praise to the Spirit. In your heart, you should be literally praising the three in one through song because God tells us to do it. As well, we have other commands in Scripture that tell us that we're actually singing to each other. Uh, Ephesians 5 here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we are to one another singing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So when we come into worship, we have our audience that... He is worthy. He, all of our worship is to exalt Him. It is to the Lord. But we sing to each other. We are addressing one another. So I come in with a heavy heart, burdened from a week that was difficult and hard and maybe discouraged, and I hear my brother or sister next to me singing out with confidence truth directly from God's Word. It should build my heart, and it does. We sing to one another to build each other up. That is part of God's design. So when we come and we don't sing, we are losing opportunity to serve and worship our God and serve others who need it right around us. We are to sing. It is just that simple. And it has always been this way with God's people. It's always been this way. Look at this reference in the scripture, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God, 
He is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I can't imagine what that sounds like. Let's just think about that for a minute. God singing. Does it just reverberate through all the heavens? I don't know. But what I do know is he is not asking us to do something that he does not do himself. It says that he will exalt over you with loud singing. So with joy and delight, our God sings over us. Our God sings. Therefore, we should sing. Why do we sing? (laughs) Because it's right to do. It's right to sing. From the very beginning of creation, we know that singing was present. In the very beginning, that amazing worship service that happened as God created the earth you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I've ever read that in Genesis 1 or 2 that there was singing, but um, Job actually helps us with this. Job 38. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Were, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who set its measurements? Since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So Job here, if you don't understand the context, Job is is basically getting a scolding from God about his perspective on life. And God is reminding him who he is. And God is also reminding Job who he is. And it's basically, where were you when I made all this? And he's talking about forming the earth and and making creation. And what he says in this is that the morning stars, the angels, sang together at creation. So from the very beginning of time, we understand there was singing present. So not only does our God sing, but from the very beginning, we understand that his creation sings. We read in the text that even his, the trees, they sing to the Lord. It's always been present with God, singing and shouting for joy. In Deuteronomy 32, we don't have time to to turn there and, and walk through that, but right before God's people were headed into the promised land. Moses was about to to die and, and he was given his final words. What did he do? He taught them a song. So major events, as we look through the Bible, major events happened. And what we see in those moments, we'll talk maybe even next week about battles and the choir's role of going into battle. Major events, we see singing was a part of it. And there were more minor events that happened on a regular basis that we see singing. See, so singing has always been a part of God's program. God sings, 
His creation sings. His people, they have always sung to him. One of my favorite experiences in traveling in Israel is uh, just, you know, I think the trips are designed this way, but the ones that I've been on, you travel around the country, and then the one, the three times I've been, you ended up in Jerusalem at the end. And, and as you have seen all these amazing things from, from the, just the centuries of God's program and the art, artifacts and everything, you're just, your faith is increased. And then you're on the way to uh, the temple and you're on your way to Jerusalem and you're traveling up towards it. And the, the tours that I've been on, they have the people start singing on the way to Jerusalem. Like the days of the children of Israel, because starting in Psalm 120, I think through Psalm 134, you have the Psalms of Ascent, and those are simply songs that God's people would sing as they made their pilgrimage of worship to the temple on a regular basis. And so as we would be a part of God's people and having all these amazing experiences, we were singing and preparing our hearts to go and see Jerusalem and and, and the temple there. And so I, I love that memory. But we have the song of ascents, and, and those are ordinary day lives of people, but very meaningful as they made their pilgrimage to the temple to worship. But there was a song in their heart. This has always been the case of God's people. In the Lord's Supper, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he's instituting the Lord's Supper right before his death. And this is what they do as the disciples uh, adjourn there. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So these major events... Entering the promised land, pilgrimages to temple worship that happened once or twice, maybe three times a year. You have the, the, the right before the death of, of our Savior, you have his children, his disciples coming around and singing a hymn. Singing has always been part of God's program. You have times of, of difficulty and trial. Paul and Silas, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw him into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is a moment where Paul and Silas have been beaten and they're in stocks in prison. This is not a very comfortable experience in their life. We're talking pain and suffering on a level that none of us have ever experienced before. And what do we find them doing? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were angry, they were cursing, they were bitter. No. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can Laura stand up and sing? I don't know how. In Providentially, that song had the phrase about sitting by a daughter's hospital bed. Can a person go through the hardest of hard and still sing to the Lord? Absolutely, they can. 
It's always been God's plan. And by the way, it will always be God's plan. Because in Revelation 15, and we are going to turn there if you would. Revelation 15. As we see the end of God's program. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and they sang the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So, let's just think about this. God's timeline at creation, we find the angels singing loudly to their God over what he has done. Fast forward. God's timetable. His chosen people in key moments of their lives, battles going into the promised land, we see them singing to the Lord. Times of worship where their hearts were anticipating the presence of God at the temple, songs to the Lord. During the hardest moments, right before our Savior gave his life for us, he is singing with his people. God's children, in times of difficulty and trial, the hardest of hard, they're singing praises to God. Fast forward to where John looks in the future by the revelation of God and what he sees will happen, will be that God's people from all the nations, from all the nations, they will sing the song of the Lamb. Great is the Lord. And marvelous are His works. So if you don't like to sing, you're not going to like heaven. I'm sorry. It's right in the text. So maybe a little evaluation should be happening. Because as Christians, we'll kind of find our like real important things. You need to obey this, and you need to obey this. and Oh, but then we have our categories. It is a command. Sing to the Lord. And what is the song? Great is the Lord. Now, Psalm 96, let me just highlight a, a, a few things just as uh, we close here. And we're going to actually end by singing how great is our God and how great thou art. We're going to sing that together. And I want every person to sing. And it's going to be glorious. But back in Psalm 96, as we sing to the Lord, we're telling of his glory. Verse 3, his wonderful deeds, that he is to be feared above all the gods. The gods of this world are nothing because he is the creator at the end of verse 5. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And so we ascribe to the Lord. We ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Glory to his name. And we bring an offering, a sacrifice of praise. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. And we're worshiping the Lord. We're saying among the nations that our God reigns. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. All of these things just, and the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They echo our song, the songs of the angels, the song of our own God. So let me just ask you, are you obeying this simple command in the scripture? Do you sing? You say, well, I I don't like this new stuff. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Do you sing to the Lord? And we're going to talk about the how and some of those things that that have created a lot of difficulty. We're going to talk about them from the scripture, so it's probably not going to be as specific as you want it. But my question to you for today as we begin this series, do you sing to the Lord? Corporately and even privately. It's a wonderful part. Praising the Lord in song is a wonderful part of private worship. Great is the Lord, verse 4 says. Splendor and majesty. They belong to Him. Would you bow with me as we close? And I'm simply going to just... Ask you once again, please, please allow a fresh look at the scriptures in regards to this issue. And as we begin today, just simply answer the question Do I obey God in this area? Do I sing? And my guess is the majority of people this morning can say yes to that. And let me encourage you, don't quit. (laughs) Sing till you die because you're going to be singing in heaven. So let it enrich your walk with God as it does and let it grow you up more and more. But for those who maybe you've gotten a little bitter about all this stuff, and you've lost your joy and because of maybe all the conflict over it or misunderstandings, confusion, I don't know, preferences. Can I encourage you? If the songs match the truth of God in His Word, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to have hearts that love your word so much that we're willing to keep learning from it. God, I pray that you would give wisdom Help us to be careful as we handle these texts. 
And anything that does not match your truth, I pray that you would let it fall away. But everything that matches your word, would you cause it to bring forth fruit in people's lives? And we don't do these things for our own good, for our benefit. We do them for your glory because you sing over us. You have always desired your creation to sing and you simply tell us to sing. And so God, give us hearts to do it. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.